Hi, this is Pastor Greg Ryan of Faith Bible Church in Mechanicsville, Maryland, coming at you with my weekly podcast, So I Was Reading. In it, I'll share my observations and applications on something I read in God's Word this week, and I hope and pray that these thoughts will bless you in some way as we delve into the Word together and pray about what we've learned. Well, good morning, or good day, or good night, or good afternoon, or why are you still up? Uh, anyway, hope you're having a smashing time today and that all is going well. If it isn't, I pray things look up soon. Who knows? Maybe this will actually help in some way. So, I was reading numbers again, and I didn't get all that much farther in it before something struck me. This time I'm in chapter 16, the Israelites are complaining again, and I need help from the Spirit to draw the right stuff out of our passage. So, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we look to you once again to teach us from your book, from your words, and from prayerfully your will this day. Help us to understand and to appropriately apply the lesson you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So background time. The Israelites have set out for the promised land. First, complaining of not enough meat to eat. Then, after the blessing of quail, you can look that up, Uh, Complaining of too much and a whole bunch of them dying because they complained too much. They reach the promised land and Moses sends spies to explore it. They come back to give a false report. So the people rebel against Moses and refuse to go into Canaan, the promised land. This is where God tells them that no one currently above the age of 20 will ever get into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. The only two spies that didn't lie. And then he, God, tells them that they will instead wander the desert 40 years. The Israelites then say, oh, we're sorry, we'll go to the land after all. And so they go and they attack it, despite being told it's not going to work. And they pretty much get slaughtered. And Moses, he then says, sort of, I told you so, but that's just a very fast summary. Uh, Moses gives them a few more instructions on offerings and warnings. And then we get to our chapter where another group is rebelling against Moses and Aaron. Though to be more accurate, they're rebelling against God. So Korah, who is a Levite priest, and then two Reubenites, Um, They rise up to challenge Moses and Aaron's authority, saying that they think maybe God didn't actually choose them, and that maybe he instead really chose one of them to lead Israel. So Moses sets up a test that will show who God really did choose, and they agree to it. And it goes poorly for them, and I'll read part of it, but it's what happens after the test that jumps out at me. So let's read Numbers Uh, Chapter 16, verses 28 to 35, and then skip a bit up to 41 through 46. And I'm going to read from the CSB. Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord sent me to do all these things, and that it was not of my own will. If these men die naturally, as all people would, and suffer the fate of all, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something unprecedented... And the ground opens its mouth and swallows them along with all that belongs to them so that they go down alive into Sheol. Then you will know that these men have despised the Lord. Sheol being one of their uh, concepts of the grave or what happens when we die. So just as he finished speaking all these words, the ground beneath them split open. 
The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households, all Korah's people, and all their possessions. They went down alive into Sheol with all that belonged to them. The earth closed over them, and they vanished from the assembly. At their cries, all the people of Israel who were around them fled because they thought the earth might swallow us too. Fire also came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were presenting the incense. We then have um, a passage where Aaron's son, the priest Eliezer, uh, gathers up the incense bowls from the dudes who got burned up, and he has them hammered into plates for the altar. So picking up at verse 41. The next day, the entire Israelite community complained about Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the Lord's people. When the community assembled against them, Moses and Aaron turned toward the tent of meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the Lord's glory appeared. Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from this community so that I may consume them instantly. But they, Aaron and Moses, fell face down. Then Moses told Aaron, Take your fire pan, place fire from the altar in it, and add incense. Go quickly to the community and make atonement for them, because wrath has come from the Lord. The plague has begun. And then a little interesting scene occurs there. The next day is what jumped out at me. The next day. Korah leads a rebellion against God by challenging Moses and Aaron, and the next day, they, the Israelites, lead another rebellion against God by challenging Moses and Aaron. They watch as instantaneous and miraculous punishment on Korah, his entire family and household, and all those who joined him in his rebellion against God by challenging Moses and Aaron, get swallowed up alive by this great yawning earth mouth. And the next day, they lead another rebellion against God by challenging Moses and Aaron. I mean, they literally had to run away from the pit that opened up the swallow Korah his entire family, and his household, and all those who joined him in his rebellion against God by challenging Moses and Aaron. And yet, the very next day, the same people who watch this lead another rebellion against God by challenging Moses and Aaron. They watch fire come out of the cloud that is hovering above the tent of meeting where Moses and Aaron are standing, I didn't read that part, but God is literally manifesting his presence in a cloud right in front of them while this is going on. But fire comes out from the Lord and, quote, consumes the 250 men who were presenting the incense. In other words, who were joining Korah in his rebellion against God by challenging Moses and Aaron. And then the very next day, they, the Israelites, lead another rebellion against God by challenging Moses and Aaron, which, surprise, leads to the death of 14,700 more of them before Moses and Aaron can offer an atoning sacrifice for them to allow God the chance to relent from doling out the justice and wrath appropriate for their sins. Talk about a dog returning to its vomit. See Proverbs 26.11 if you don't know that reference. I mean, why would they rebel literally the next day? How is this even possible? 
Unfortunately, it's not only possible, I think it's actually probable. I see things like this all the time. A kind of dumb example, but one maybe you can relate to, uh, happened while I was teaching 11th grade English. I made the comment to the class that if you lick a big red chewing gum wrapper and put it on your forehead, it will burn your skin. So a kid pulls out a pack of Big Red, he licks a wrapper, and he sticks it on his forehead. After a few seconds, his facial expression kind of turns from a smirk to this groaning grimace, and he pulls the wrapper off his head, revealing a large red rectangle where he was, quote, burned. As we're all sort of laughing and kids are asking, you know, did it really burn? I hear another cry of pain come from behind me as a second kid pulls a wrapper off of her head, which we never even saw her put it on her head. Well, as I marveled at this, and I exclaim, it left a visible mark. Why would you then do it? I hear another one cry out, and then another one. Six kids did the same thing after clearly seeing the red rectangle on the first kid's head. Why? Now, that example doesn't have eternal consequences, but I, I hope you see my point. I think at least in America, uh, people often have a it-doesn't-apply-to-me attitude when it comes to reality. It's like the kids were saying, well, it burned his head, but it couldn't possibly burn mine. It seems, and again, this is just to me, that the people who saw Cora swallowed up assumed that with him out of the way, they now had their chance to challenge Moses for a position of power. And of course, God wouldn't deal with them the same way as he did Cora. Actually, they instead accused Moses and Aaron of killing, quote, God's people having just witnessed the destruction of not God's people by the hand of God himself. This also sort of flies in the face of the, well, if I saw God, that I would believe and follow him argument that I hear so often. How quickly does pride get in the way of truth and reality? How quickly does pride allow one to lie to oneself and create a reality that clearly is false and thus not a reality at all? How quickly does pride allow one to, as Isaiah 5.20 says, call evil good and good evil, to put darkness for light and light for darkness, to put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? And how quickly does pride cause us to forget that it is God who is in charge and who has set forth his commands, not us? The Israelites attribute the death of Korah and his people to Moses and Aaron, even though they witnessed God do it. People today will overlook and excuse people's sins, attributing their sinfulness to outdated and archaic biases on men and of societies created by men. So they deny that they even are sins, and then they twist the characteristics of God to suit their image of what a God should be, to suit their pride in their ways, as though God needs to answer to their preferences and desires rather than the other way around. They teach that it's the clay that controls the potter when it's clearly the other way around. 
We know about God's characteristics because he inspired men to write down those characteristics, and those characteristics do not change. If they do, then God is a liar. Because it was God who inspired men to write down that he doesn't change, to write down that one of his characteristics or attributes is immutability, and if he isn't immutable, then he is lying. And I would say that that means that he isn't a God at all. He would be an imposter, probably the imposter, who doesn't care if you worship him or if you worship yourself or if you don't worship anything at all. He just doesn't want you worshiping the real God, the one that kicked him out of heaven for his pride, and who will do the same to anyone else who puts his pride over the ways and the will of God. God honors and chooses those with a humble heart, but even the humble must stay on guard from their own pride. Letting your guard down for even one moment can cause you to rebel as soon as the next day, or regrettably, even sooner. So Father God, please allow me to keep a humble outlook, surrendering my ways to your ways, my will to your will, my desires to your desires. Help me to quell this rebellious heart and to follow you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So uh, I never really know where I'm going to end up as I prepare these things, but I think that's one of the awesome things about God's word. I never, ever stop learning. And until next time, friends, I hope we can keep growing together. And I'm waving goodbye to you. Bye-bye for now. So I Was Reading is a ministry of Faith Bible Church of Mechanicsville, Maryland, a non-denominational body of believers bound together by a desire to know the Lord and to reach others with His gospel message. If you are interested to know more about our church, our beliefs, or this podcast, you can contact us at soiwasreading at faithbiblemd.org or look us up on the World Wide Web at faithbiblemd.org. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week in His name.